What would you give to increase sales by 8% of your restaurant? Restaurants leveraging the power of Yelp Guest Manager paired with Yelp ads enjoy up to an 8% monthly lift in diner bookings through Yelp. It makes sense, right? Millions of people use Yelp every day to find restaurants, and they're using that same trusted platform to book reservations and add themselves to wait lists. Your restaurant could be busier today. To learn more, visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast or call 877-571-9357 and quote podcast. Yelp Internal Data 2021. Based on average results from a sample study of restaurants with guest manager that purchased Yelp ads between April and July 2021 in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and New York City. Results may vary. Now here we go. If you're trying to do things today, the same way you did in 2019, you're going to have a very short restaurant career or ownership because that just doesn't work. Change the model. Look at what's really going on. Stop complaining about, I can't find employees and figure out a way to change what you're doing. Change the menu, change the technology, but be willing to look at whatever you can to make it work. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. When you coach, you learn. Just like with anything, you get better over time. And what becomes incredibly clear is that there are universal truths that stand the test of time. Today we chat with Izzy Kaharsh, a restaurant coaching consultant who's had a front row seat to the evolution of our industry over the last 30 years. Our conversation runs the gamut from marketing gold to robot employees. It is something I've always wanted to do. I discovered it in high school at the first restaurant I ever worked at. I was 16 years old. They hired me as a cook. Then I got fired as a cook the first day. Terrible job. And they made me a busboy. I loved working there. And when I went into the service, I did food inspection. So I always knew I liked food, hospitality. My passion was there. It's turned into an entire career. It's had interesting twists and turns, but I definitely for the last 25 years, I'm in the right place. And what do you love about it? You know, now that I'm consulting and I've been consulting for about 30 years, for me, it's different every day. The challenges are different. The clients, I mean, my favorite clients are the ones who have a lot of experience in the restaurant business because when I talk to them, you can't fool them. I can't say something without being questioned as to why is that a good way to go? So I love my clients who have owned their restaurants for 30 years, 40 years, five years, two years. They get it and they make the changes quickly, they see the benefits quickly. And I like working with new clients to lead them along the way. But I've turned my company into a huge amount of travel. I'm in two to three cities every week, different restaurants, different concepts. And I love every day. Talk to me about the path that took you from owning and operating to coaching and consulting. So after I left the service, I went to chef school. I worked uh, after that as a chef for a number of years. And I did partner in a restaurant. I'm actually a partner in a uh, microbrewery as I've been uh, for the past 25 years. So I still have that little bit of ownership. But my passion when I graduated culinary school, and even though I like working back in the house, that was not my passion, that part of the creating. But what I did love as I moved on in my career, I really loved training people. I liked having a low food cost. I liked having a low labor cost. 
And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to leave the chef's world and I'm going to start a company, 1987, no computers, no cell phones. And it was all about training. And over that time period, it is now all about opening restaurants or turning around restaurants. And that back of the house experience, that chef experience really gives me an edge over all of my competition. Because when I'm training people in the front of the house and then I go to the back of the house to talk to the chef about changes, they know they have their equal there. I'm going to make recommendations to them that makes a lot of sense. So having that 10 years of back of the house experience really matters. How'd you figure that out though? I mean, one, there aren't a lot of successful models out there to look at, but I mean, especially when we look at like the mid to late eighties, I mean, it's without any books really, or YouTube or any <laughs> of these things that we use to learn. How did you figure out how to run a successful model? You know, again, it's working with great companies. I worked with companies who produced a P&L every month. And I really was trained by those owners and operators how to read the P&L and using that as a resource. I got to tell you, a lot of my customers today, when I come to them and they're losing 100000 a year or 300000 a year, and I want to look at the P&L, they don't have one, right? They haven't done the basics. So I really liked that part of the learning, which I, you never really got in school. You start to learn the P&L. And then once I got it, I thought, you know, I can control costs. And I focused the beginning of my consulting career on the back of the house just by saying, I can help you do these two things, control your food costs and control your labor costs, and essentially lower your turnover. But over time, when I was successful with customers at doing that, then they'd say, hey, can you train the front of the house? We really need help. And of course, I'd say, absolutely. I do that all the time. Never having really done that. But it didn't look that hard. And again, you know the basics. Great customer service. Be excited about your job. Engage with the customer. The basics haven't changed since 1987. But I always am dumbfounded in this modern era of computers. How many people don't have training manuals, who don't do training, who don't have a P&L, who don't have any numbers. I mean, you're working just with pure guesswork. And that just doesn't, you know, that doesn't happen. So you did launch in 1987. And a lot has changed since then with technology and the internet and all of that stuff. But I want to dig a bit deeper on what hasn't changed. So Obviously, great food, great beverage, and great service are essential, right? But those are also table stakes. You and I have seen countless restaurants with great food, great beverage, and great service close every day. What are the universal truths that have stood the test over time outside of food, beverage, and service? Well, I think it's your ability to react. And a lot of places... They have great food and they have great service and they do all the things that you're talking about and they cannot understand why am I losing money? We're doing everything right. The house is packed. People love it. But you pull up their numbers and you find out that their liquor cost, which should be about 21%, is a liquor cost of 45%. So essentially every drink you serve, great, you're serving a lot of them, you're losing money on every one. Or you're, instead of your profitability being 80 cents in every cocktail, now it's 10 cents. So that's where the mistakes are always made. And same thing with the kitchen. I mean, this year has, in the last 12 months, 16 months, has been a real challenge. And we have had to raise prices eight times, nine times in the last 16, 17 months. Why? 
because we have good information, we know where we stand, and we go, wow, our food costs just went from 30% to 38%. Unfortunately, we have to raise prices if we're going to survive. I think, Josh, the problem is where people don't take advantage of that information, and by the time they figure out they need to raise prices, a year and a half has gone by, and they've lost all of that revenue. So to run a great restaurant, great food, great service, certainly those are the basics, but great information tells you how to direct every piece of that. Yeah, I agree with that. But you know, the other side of it is that there's a difficulty within our industry to advocate for our own best interest. I think there are a lot of people that know that their margins suffer and that they should be charging more, that they felt inflationary effects, but haven't raised prices. And it's because they're afraid that they'll lose business. They're afraid that there's some price sensitivity out there, even though we see across every other industry that everyone is raising prices and people are still buying flat screen televisions. They're still <laughs> buying gasoline, right? Everyone is still living their best life. How do you overcome that hurdle? And I see it myself. I coach with frequency and I tell everyone to raise prices. Everyone I've ever worked with has been underpriced relative to a benchmarking audit. How do you convince people to do it? How do they overcome that fear? Well, first of all, and typically my first pitch to a potential client is, I'm going to fix your problems and we're going to increase your profitability and we're not going to raise prices one dime. That's not where I start. You know what? That's too easy to start with raised prices. How about let's control our food costs? Let's control our liquor costs. Let's utilize our labor better. Let's cut people from the floor. Let's do all those things. Once we get all that done and we see success and the turn starting to happen, to me, the last thing I want to do is then say, okay, we've done it all, and we've seen our food cost again go from 30 to 38. Now it's time to raise prices. And we either have to do it strategically, if they've raised them before, then let's pick and choose a few items. But typically, and probably like you, the very first action I take, if it's raising prices, it's every menu item, right? I don't want to do one or two or three. Let's just do the whole thing and pull that Band-Aid off and move forward. It is not easy to convince customers that that's what they need to do. But again, when they see, you know, if we charge an extra dollar per item, you're going to see your food costs go down. And guess what? We've just increased revenue $12,000 a month. And that really helps lower the bottom line. So, and again, I don't apologize. I mean, you know, if a guest says, well, you've raised your prices, we say, yes, we have. But so is Costco, so is the gas station, so is every grocery store. And I often tell people, you know, tell your customer, hey, those chicken wings in 2019 were $38 a case. Two months ago, they were 150 a case. We cannot lose money to satisfy the customer. My goal to satisfy the customer is to stay open. And as responsible restaurateurs, I don't apologize. Move forward confidently. This is what we have to do. You know, if you don't like paying 12 or $13 you know, at our restaurant for lunch, go to McDonald's because the average cost of a McDonald's lunch today, $12. Another thing that hasn't changed and seems to be a universal truth is that restaurateurs are busier than shit. And I think that the biggest hurdle that we have to overcome as an industry over everything is overwhelm. And so how do folks that are already treading water find time and the bandwidth to work with someone like you? Well, it does take time because when I'm with a client, typically I'm with somebody for six months, a year. A lot of my clients I've been with for four to seven years, probably more than half. They have to give up two full days a month 
for me because I'm going to be on their property two days. We have a whole agenda. This is what we're going to go over. And you bring up a great point. Restaurants are packed. And one of the hardest things to understand for a restaurateur, you have a line of people. You want to satisfy them. You want to get them in seats and start serving dinner. But unfortunately, there's a reality to the labor issue today. If I need 10 servers on the floor, but only six show up, then I can't give those six more tables because we're going to give incredibly bad service. So the hard thing for my owners to understand is when I redo their floor chart and say, okay, we have six servers, not 10. So there's 40% of our tables are going to go empty and unattended because we have to focus on giving the people that sit down incredible service. What's the worst complaint that somebody's going to have when they come in and they find out it's going to take an hour to get a table? Their social media complaint is going to be, this place is so busy, you can't get in. I would rather have that than they sat me down and for 40 minutes, nobody came to my table. That is a very hard thing to do, especially when you see all those empty tables. My bigger places, we actually take the tables outside, put them away where customers can't see them and kind of rearrange. That's probably one of the hardest discussions I have with customers on a weekly basis is doing what we can do really well. And if we can't do it really well, let's not do it. Are you overcoming the labor crisis? We are working very hard. Am I overcoming it? Well, part of it is I'm sure, you know, all the people that you talk to, one of the ways that we fight this is to reduce the size of the menu because now we're serving 20%, 30% less menu items so that we can handle getting all those customers or If I have servers that could handle four tables, now with a smaller menu, yes, I can get them to five tables. There are things that I don't like. I don't like having to take a picture of a code to bring my menu up on my phone. It never works well. It doesn't feel like a restaurant. I stay away from that. But what other things can I do to help lower labor? We take the menu, we take the order, we get the order in. But at the end of the meal, I am all for dropping the check and saying, hey, you could pay your check on your phone. You know, we're busy. You can get out whenever you want. We'll continue to refill your coffee. You know, that's an option. I've written a few articles on robots. As much as I hate the idea of robots taking, they're not taking away jobs, but taking positions in a restaurant, it drives me crazy. I mean, I didn't go to chef school and hospitality school to have robots serving my clients. But unfortunately, I have one restaurant. We need 60 servers during the season. The most we've been able to get in the last two years is about 42. So I am way short, 18. So what are we doing? We did move to a robot. Robot's doing all the running. It's taken up three jobs of all the runners I used to have. And all the runners I used to have, we're now training them or have trained them to be servers. Put them where I need them. But utilizing technology in a way that still gives you customer engagement, for me, is the way to go. But finding labor is very hard, but it's a reality and we have to figure out ways around it when we have guests walk in the door. Seeing what was possible and going from good to great, you're going to learn something. Hearing different perspectives from different people in the group have inspired ideas or concepts that I've used since then that there's no way I would have ever come up with on my own. You pull it out of us as much as possible. When the well is dry, you pour a bucket in there and then tell us, now get it out. We could have been just as lost as when we started if all we got was, here's how to do it, go. These folks are independent restaurateurs, just like you, but they have one massive advantage that you don't. They have a proven plan. 
I'm launching my next restaurant marketing mastermind that brings together 12 owners and operators looking to massively scale revenue by working with me and by working with each other. This mastermind is so effective, we offer a money back guarantee. So if you're interested in scaling your restaurant's revenue with a program that is guaranteed to work, apply today at restaurantmarketingmastermind.com. Again, that's restaurantmarketingmastermind.com. You might think being on the line and filling those tickets is the thing you need to do for your restaurant, but every burger you make is a marketing call or video that you didn't make to drive more sales into your restaurant to make things better. As a coach, you've got this breadth of knowledge that you share with your clients. And if you did it for them, then they'd never be independent. So what's the recipe for a successful coach-client relationship? I do have a lot of my clients, again, who look at me, you know, I start off as their consultant in food and beverage and and that world. And a year down the road, they continue to pay me and have me come out, not for the consulting, but for the coaching. How should we look at our staff? Is my general manager really doing a good job? Should I invest in another restaurant? And we talk through the whole thing and we talk through the numbers. One of my, the biggest ones for me is I'm killing myself. I'm working 80 hours a week. I'm at the restaurant seven days a week. How can I stop this? And then we come up with a program. Okay, we got to get you two days off in a row. This is how we're going to do it. And it's going to take maybe a little more money. Maybe we have to hire another manager. But when you get those two days off, you're going to become more creative. You're going to become more effective. But that's probably one of the biggest challenges that I have. And another big part of coaching is being with them when they need me. So Thursday, I'm actually flying to Arkansas for nothing more than to sit with my the owner of my restaurant, who's not in the restaurant business, but is in a different field. And I'm going to sit with him and his accountant and then give the accountant a lecture on what they're doing wrong and why we need the information when we need it, the way we need it. So a lot of times it's that kind of thing, just being with them when they go for their bank loan, with them when they talk to their accountant with them when we were discussing architecturals with the architect, designer, all those things. So there is a difference between consulting and coaching and that the coaching part really is the holding of the hand. So, Well, I want to thread a needle here. So the reason I asked the question was because you don't train your clients, right? Because you train animals, right? You teach your clients. And yet still, when owners and operators talk about working with their teams, they talk about training their teams and the way you would train an animal instead of teaching your team. And I think that that dynamic is super important to unpack because I think that the way that you coach is the way that you lead, right? And transitioning an organization from being a training organization to a teaching organization benefits every stakeholder in that transaction, don't you? Oh, absolutely. And I utilize that same language with my customers. I don't offer training. I offer teaching because I cannot train you. I can't change your behavior. Your behavior is your behavior. But I can teach you some new things and I can teach you how to follow up those items as well. And I can work with your team and do the same thing. Again, you know, we're working with a resort. We've done a number of secret shops for them in the past 18 months and they've scored very low. And we're at that point now where we said, look, we can no longer do any shops for you. We need to come out and teach your staff and be with you every month because they have smart people. But those people have come from different environments. They only have a certain level of experience. And 
the teaching part is taking them from high school to college. And that's where we need to go. They're all at this intellectual restaurant or service high school level. And nobody has taught them that next step. We teach it, but then we follow up. This isn't, I come out one time and and do a teaching seminar uh, for your staff one time. This is, we teach everybody, we get them on the same page, we do the follow-up, and I'm going to be out on your property two days every month to continue to work with your staff to make sure they've learned the lessons. And then we make adjustments all along the way, but it's all about education. I agree. Training is not the right word. You talked about getting everyone on the same page, and I think that alignment's a real hurdle. Everyone rowing in the same direction. And so when you see clients that are struggling with alignment and then you and your team come out to fix that alignment, what do you do? Well, there's a lot that I look at. First of all, I like to look at their financials because I want to find out, well, you have all these managers who aren't on the same page. What's our management labor cost? Because either we don't have enough managers, so everybody's trying to do everything and has no focus, or we have too many and a lot of them are sitting around. So part of it is first we have to put you in the right alignment. If we need 10 managers, then we're going to have to either get rid of three or hire three. Because again, that's sometimes you can't align people because they're covering so many jobs. So we figure that out. Then I always, when I take on this type of client, go and I do a secret shop for a couple of days. I sit and I have lunch, I have dinner, I'll sit at the bar at night, you know, throughout that time to watch what are those managers doing on the floor? How are they interacting with guests? What are you getting for your money? I mean, I went to one place, did the same thing out in Ohio. In the two days that we did secret shops, I did not see one manager on the floor. So I said to the owner, based on this secret shop, there's a bunch of managers you do not need because they're all sitting in the office, not interacting with the guests. But once we figure out those things, then we start to, again, we have to educate everybody What do we need to do? Well, based on the shop, this is what I saw you guys doing. This is what we need to do. We need to be on the floor. If if we open at 11 o'clock, we need to be on the floor at 11 o'clock, and you can take five minutes an hour to stop in the office and make adjustments. But you're on that floor 95% of the time and not in the office. And when lunch is over and everybody's covered and we've handed out, then you can go in the office, catch up a little bit. And sometimes managers say, well, I need more time before we open. Okay, wake up earlier, get to the office, get your work done. But 11 o'clock, you're on that floor and you're probably not getting off it till two because we need you in the right place at the right time. And if you're a manager that doesn't understand that, or we've just gone through the whole thing, we've taught you, we showed you the reasons why, we showed you the impact on the guest, but you still insist on sitting in the office, then we're going to cut you loose pretty quickly. And on that topic, I actually have told all my customers, stop advertising for managers. We're done looking for managers. In today's world, can't find anybody anyway. Why waste our time? Let's take the best servers we have in the house and start to educate them into what they need to do. So we've actually created for our customers a six-week program, a 12-week program, a six-month program to move them to each level. So we take a great server. We say, we're going to make you a server supervisor. And for the next six weeks, we're going to train you on what that means. So at the end of six weeks, they know what a comp button is. They know how to use voids. They have handled with managers, guest complaints, a lot of the basics. So again, one manager can now have three supervisors covering the floor, giving them information. 
because a lot of our places, you know, 10,000 square feet, you got one manager working, hard to get them to somebody's table. But if I have four supervisors on the floor, they can step by, they can take care of the problem, they can get the manager, and then we move them to the next level. Those who have done really well, hey, are you interested in being an assistant manager? Because for the next six months, we would be happy to teach you and put you in that position. It's worked out great. Lower turnover, more camaraderie, excited staff who wants to move up. But as I said, we in the past year, we've had such a bad time looking for managers. I have just given up. What does the compensation look like on that? I mean, I don't need specific numbers, but you've got to think more responsibility should come with higher compensation. Yeah. So we take servers and you know, on the days that they get assigned server supervisor, they'll punch in as a supervisor. They still get to take all of the tables that they have, and we might pay them an extra $5 an hour, something like that. But it's a great question because we just have a young guy who's been with us as a server for many years at an operation. We've been training him to be an assistant manager. We now have a manager leaving. This guy's ready to go, plug and play, but he still wants to hold on to tables. So we're going to give him two days of management a week. And for that, he's going to be on salary at, you know, call it $180 a day. So he doesn't have to have any tables. He's going to make good money for those two days. He feels good. The rest of the time, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, key nights, that's when he wants to make money as a server. Great. He can serve and our other managers can handle it. And if we tell them, hey, you know what? In addition to serving, hit the supervisor button, make the extra hourly rate, but help the other servers out on the floor to give us a little bit more coverage. So, but you're right, you have to compensate. You can't just say a title is gonna make them happy. Do you feel like that's a Band-Aid? I mean, it works, it does. But like, I've been there firsthand and I know you have too. And like having somebody that is a server just like everybody else, two days a week and then two days a week, there's somebody's boss. I get that's what they want. And I get that for most of us, we can't afford to just salary that person outright at a level of compensation that would overcome for the tips that are lost. I'm, I'm not expecting you to provide a solution. I think we've had this issue for about 2,000 years now. <laughs> But it's a real issue, right? Because it's somewhat demoralizing to the staff when they were drunk with Chip last night and then they're working alongside him on Wednesday and then on Thursday, Chip's their fucking boss. And Chip's still the same idiot he was the day before and the day before that. And it seems like there's just something, and again, I don't have a solution, but there's something foundationally wrong with the way that we pay with the way that we compensate our teams. And that's what's created this fractured situation where everyone except for servers and bartenders have figured out that they can make more money with less responsibility doing less work elsewhere. I don't disagree at all. Am I saying that my method is not a Band-Aid? I think when I started, I thought the same thing. I said, okay, it's kind of a Band-Aid. And we typically, again, this place that we have taken some people all the way through, we started off with eight servers that we plugged into the program. Six weeks later, only three of them were left. The other ones liked being servers. They decided to stay in that position. But now I've got three people who see a different vision for themselves. So they're the ones that want to learn. They're the ones that want to come up. And a great chef, you know other great chefs, they never went to school. How did they learn? Came up, they worked for great people. I think the area where this falls apart is where you just assign somebody, this is what you're going to do. We decided, hey, we're going to write a training program that puts them in the kitchen for a week, that puts them at the expo station for a week, that follows a manager for a week, they're behind the bar for a week, and they have to bust tables, and they have to do bar back. 
And yeah, we're compensating them during the training on those days. At the end of those six weeks, and that's why we washed out half the people or more, because they're not looking at the long game. They're looking at the tips for the day and not really a career. We found people in the career. So, you know, I agree, depending on how you do it, it can be a band-aid. We're trying to make these people love hospitality, see it in a different way, and make it their career. There's a ton of content out there, and Lord knows there's no shortage of things that owners and operators could improve on. But there are some things that move the needle and some things that don't. And my own story, my fine dining restaurant was about to go out of business. We had been around about a year, year and a half, couldn't really turn a profit. And so I took out an Amex loan for $50,000. And I turned to my business partner and I was like, I owe you a fortune. What's another 50 grand? And then what did I do with it? I did everything. I did like a thousand things over the course of 12 months, not really knowing what would move the needle and what wouldn't, but I had to do all of it to figure out what would. There's no shortage of things that everybody listening could do to improve their business. Some of those things are going to make an impact. Some of those things are just a cathartic exercise. As a man that's tried everything, what are the improvements that actually improve things for owners and operators? First of all, you have to have great financials so that you know where your problems are. That's one. So solving problems is great. Knowing that you're not going to get to success by cutting costs is another. You're going to get to be successful by increasing revenue, giving great service, bringing customers back. But you, you can't cut your way to success and better profits through cutting labor, right? So you have to look at that. And the other is, and I've been at this a long time. And the one of the things that I tell people is, look, I don't know it all. So if you have an idea, you've never been in the restaurant industry, tell me what you think. You've been a customer and be willing to try things. And you can't just try them. You have to be able to try them and measure them, right? So if you have a new program, let's put it in. Let's run it for a week or two. Can we measure the success? Like, you know, a lot of people give out coupons. They get the coupons back, but they don't measure. Okay, I spent $10,000 on these coupons. Boom, we have a big rush of service for a week. And when they do the math, it's like, okay, we spent 10000 It brought us 5000 Probably not a great investment. Let's get rid of that program. So I think being willing to try new things, measure everything that you do. I'm sure you did the same thing. Somebody gives you $50,000. You better be sure you, know, you spend it in a way that it's going to give you return. The restaurant industry is filled with unspoken rules and traditions about how things should be done. How would you like to see our industry turn the tables to create a better future for all of us? Again, the old model, and I'm constantly talking to customers about this, just like the whole thing about management. To me, stop looking for management. Let's change our whole mindset. Let's make people better, right? And we have to certainly look at a lot of different things. If How can we get our employees' health insurance? We have not done that traditionally for a long time. There might be 20%, 15% of the companies in the hospitality industry offer health insurance. It's a big deal. I worked in London. We didn't pay as much to the employees, but one thing they didn't have to worry about was health insurance, right? They were going to have a baby happy, not thinking about how am I going to pay for it? So I think that's a big one. I'm not really happy with what's going on with wages because again, it's so different in all parts of the country. And I have quite a number of customers in California who have seen their you know, the old server wage from $8 plus tips, now it's $15. And now fast food restaurants are going to get hit with that $22 wage. But I never was a big one for saying the restaurant should keep the tips. But boy, when you move a server from 
$8 an hour to 15 and they still get 100% of the tips. I think we have to relook at that model because, again, the restaurateur is forced to continue to up and up prices and cut different things or turn the credit card around and have the customer pay the percentage. I mean, we're trying everything. In the state of Illinois, I think we pay 650 or $7 to servers, and then it's a tipped wage. But again, a restaurant in California, $15 an hour plus tips. So we have to come up with a model that really works. I have a daughter who lives in Montreal. She's a server. They do the whole tip thing much differently than we do here. I mean, for them, they pool tips, they calculate it correctly. There isn't anybody who's unhappy. I do think a lot of restaurants try to do the tip pooling, but they do it very badly. And then you have animosity. So I think we have to look at all of those different things. And again, as we talked about early, the industry is changing substantially for those who are going to be back of the house, right? Technology is going to become a big piece of the pie. Not everybody wants to be a server. So we have to really focus on probably hiring more servers part-time because people want Saturday and Sunday off or they want Friday, Saturday off. They don't want to do what we did just in 2019. If you're trying to do things today, the same way you did in 2019, you're going to have a very short restaurant career or ownership because that just doesn't work. Change the model. Look at what's really going on. Stop complaining about, I can't find employees and figure out a way to change what you're doing. Change the menu, change the technology, but be willing to look at whatever you can to make it work. That's Izzy Kaharish. For more on Izzy's company, visit hospitalityworks.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.